The information provided in this podcast and on this website is intended for a Canadian audience. It is for informational purposes only and does not create a physician-patient relationship. It is not to be used as professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or care, nor is it intended to be used as a substitute. Anyone with any questions regarding medical conditions, issues, or problems should seek the advice of a physician. Welcome to the second episode of Peep the Process, a sport and exercise medicine podcast for Canadian student-athletes. Hi James, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. Good to hear. So I want to know your thoughts. How did you enjoy recording our first episode? Well, it's so important to tell our student-athletes about returning to play and returning to training after COVID-19. And uh, I, I was so glad to just get the word out there. It's really important in my career to do advocacy work and advocacy is basically telling more people about things that are healthy for them. I like to to do this type of work and so it was very gratifying after months of preparing for this podcast to actually get the first episode done. Good. And I know you are a very, very busy man. So I want to know also, how is your other podcast going? We're doing a second podcast called MSK Matters, and it's for young doctors and senior medical students. And we're teaching them how to actually approach the student athlete in the clinic and how to think about uh, what the, the problem is. It's been recorded our first episode and it's great. So glad. Good. I'm glad to hear. So today our topic is return to play after concussions. So I'm just going to go ahead and ask you a couple questions if that's okay. Yes. Okay, James. So I think almost every student athlete has heard the word concussion, but can you explain what it actually is? And can you break it down for all of us that might be scratching our heads? So concussion is a brain injury, and there's, there's a number of types of brain injury, but your brain is so vital to your functioning, and we only have one brain. Concussion is one that some doctors and people in the medical community called a mild traumatic brain injury, so something that is less severe than what puts people into a coma. And a concussion basically is not something that is causing any kind of what we call structural problem, but it's a functional problem. And to put that into English, if you have one of those Niagara Falls snow globes, you know you go into a tourist store and you get one of these snow globes and you shake it and it looks like a lot of snow. If you put that down and let it rest, all the snow eventually settles down. And so, your brain doesn't function properly in many, many ways. It can be confusion, it can be disorientation, you can have memory issues, you can have sleep problems, you can have emotional problems, but all this relates to your brain not functioning properly, and in almost every case, it's temporary and will go away. Okay, can you explain to me the process of return to play after concussion? 
So I've been lecturing for several years about a stoplight analogy. And in the red light zone, I like student athletes to rest at home. You know, we used to have people take the first two days and take away everything that started with the letter I, iPad, iTunes, iPod, iMac. And we used to tell them it was almost as if you're jailed in your own bedroom. You could go to the bathroom, you could come have meals with your family. And some of my colleagues were actually extending that for weeks, which made no sense whatsoever. So in most of our sport medicine strategies, we talk about rest as a dirty four letter word, but rest helps your brain in the first two days. I just like people to get out of their room after the two days if their concussion is so severe. So the red light also means that you should not return to school until you're absolutely ready. I wanna emphasize to our listeners that we want you to be able to do all activities except for your sport that do not make your symptoms worse. That's kind of my mantra. Don't do anything that makes your symptoms worse. When you're in that yellow light or caution zone, that's the zone when you're returning to all your schoolwork. And you have to take it bit by bit. You should have academic supports or accommodations from your school. And as the days go along, you can do more and more. But if you do too much, you're gonna get way more symptoms. And then once your symptoms are completely gone, I call that the green light zone. So the green light zone is a six step, one day at a time, return to play. And you do more and more as each step progresses. But if you get symptoms, you have to go back to the previous step, uh, step that was symptom free. Once you re uh, achieve the fifth step, then you get clearance from your doctor to return to play. So James, you mentioned earlier about return to learn. What is your biggest piece of advice for educators on return to learn? So this has been my research focus over the past decade. And I participated in a collaboration with Holland Bloor View Kids Rehab Hospital and the York Region District School Board. And we actually produced a document that enables people to become a concussion champion with respect to the return to school. Uh, this is gonna be linked on our website, but you can easily find it at hollandbloorview.ca slash school first. Anybody who wants to become a concussion champion for their students, for their children, should take a look at this resource. It's a fabulous 36 page online resource and it's only two years old. It gives amazing resources for people to allow students to get back to uh, all their schoolwork sooner. So what does the student athlete need to understand about the process of return to play after concussion? So I've always found that that yellow zone, that returning to school has been the most problematic. And we find it's a lot more tricky for female athletes we found that returning to play for female athletes has been almost double the time for our high school students compared to their male counterparts. And we haven't determined exactly what the reason for that is. Perhaps there's gonna be more research done, but it's just to not get so stressed over the process 
of returning to your school obligations and returning to play. We've had lots and lots of student athletes who've done this and people feel that they should get back sooner and they just stress themselves out way too much. Okay. And what advice would you give to the students who are returning to play following their concussion? So as I said, once you're past that yellow light zone, returning to all your school obligations and you're completely symptom free, the six step return to play is very well documented online on the website parachute.ca. So as I stated, one step per day and you need clearance from your doctor before finally returning to play. Okay, and just a follow-up question to that. What is the most important factor in the recovery process following the concussion? So as I said, my mantra is don't do anything that makes your symptoms worse. We find that student athletes tend to recover every day a little bit if they keep below what we call a symptom threshold. And so if you don't overdo it, if you budget your time and don't do too much in one day, then most people, most student athletes will progress day by day. And most of them will be back within a a period of a few weeks to a completely normal state before their injury. So James, why do you think that athletes return to sport too soon? I, I think that athletes have a sense of guilt. They... They, they may be the top scorer on their team, or it may be playoff time, and they feel an obligation to, to get out there. So what would you tell the student athlete in their process so they do not rush back to play? I think it's important to listen to your advisors. And a lot of student athletes will have coaches who know a lot more about concussion now than coaches knew 10 years ago. They also have good advice from their athletic therapist or their physiotherapist and your sport and exercise medicine physician will have a lot of good information for you and how to walk the process back to return fully to school and to return to play after concussion. So what do you find is the most common mistake you see student athletes making while they're in the process of either return to play or return to learn? I find that the most common mistake student athletes make is once they start to feel somewhat better, they then think it's over. It's a little bit like COVID-19, you know, it's not over either. Our guest for this week is the head athletic therapist at Seneca College, Steve Kopis. He has a degree in kinesiology and exercise medicine and his diploma in athletic therapy. He works with the Seneca Sting team and has been recognized for his work by the Canadian Athletic Therapists Association. Copas was named one of Canada's Outstanding Supervisory Athletic Therapists. This award is given to those who show excellence and leadership in the certification of new athletic therapists. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Thank you for being on our podcast today, and we'll just get right into the questions. So, First of all, what happens when you suspect someone has a concussion? Well, there's lots of different things that happen. So 
at all of our games, we have one of our certified therapists, whether it's myself or one of our other certified athletic therapists, as well as one of our student athletic therapists. So we're always watching the game. And if there's any incident where we suspect that there's a mechanism for a concussion, we'll go out and we'll assess that athlete. We'll remove them from play. And then what we do is we go through a SCAT-5. So it's a sideline concussion assessment tool. So it goes over all kinds of questions about cognitive questions about where they are, their symptoms, and all those sort of ideas. Um, if there's any suspected concussion, then the athlete does not return to participate in that practice or that game until we're able to fully complete that assessment and get clarification from our sports medicine physician that they do in fact have a concussion. Okay, so once someone's been diagnosed with a concussion, what is the protocol? We actually give them a blue piece of paper at Seneca. So on that blue sheet, it has all the red flags for them to look at. So we talk to them about worsening symptoms, repeated vomiting, losing consciousness, that sort of idea. And if they have any of those symptoms and they need to go to the emergency room immediately, we also give that sheet of paper to a responsible adult that's going to be with them, whether it be a roommate, a parent, somebody that's going to be with them as well, that can help look out for any of those red flag symptoms. We talk to them about what we want them to do in that first 24 hours. So sleep is very important. The old adage used to be wake them up every few hours. We don't do that anymore. We want them to sleep. And we just ask that the, the responsible adult that's looking after them, they can check in, make sure they're sleeping okay and naturally, but not to wake them up and let them sleep in those first 24 hours. So Steve, several years ago, we developed an innovation you approached the counseling office at Seneca College, and we had a problem. The problem was that they weren't given any academic supports until they had certification from a physician. So some of the athletes had to go to a walk-in clinic doctor who didn't know them. It was hard to get into their own doctor, and we developed an innovation at Seneca for our student athletes so that they could have their academic supports or accommodations started immediately. And then sometime in the next two weeks, they would have their concussion certified by me. Can you sort of walk us through the process of how that works? Yeah. So the day that we suspect an athlete has a, a concussion, I what I do is I send an email to the counseling department with their symptom scores, notifying them that the athlete has a suspected concussion. That triggers a process on their end where they send it back to me with their temporary accommodations. I then forward that on to all the athlete teachers on their behalf. That way the athlete doesn't need to get on their computer, sit in front of a screen and worry about contacting their, their teachers about any accommodations. What this does is really helps take that stress off them. A lot of them are really worried. So what it does, it takes a lot of stress off those athletes of worrying about their exams, their, their tests and things like that, that they may have going on even the next day. And that's a big worry that they often say to me is that they have a, a test or an assignment due, but this helps to put them at ease that they don't have to worry about handing that in without penalization with their accommodations in place already. So Steve, what types of rehab for concussion have you done extra specialty training for? I've taken a couple courses in visual and vestibular rehab. So I've taken a two-day course in that on how to screen for any visual problems that may arise or vestibular issues with that may arise with a concussion. Oftentimes those are what are causing any lingering symptoms or problems with our athletes, especially in studying, reading, and having to move their eyes back and forth while they read or track a ball if they're getting back in a type of return to play type of situation that may still be causing any of their lingering symptoms or headaches or, or dizziness and stuff with it. So if that if we can work in into that and catch that with those tests and, and the exercises provided by that way, then we can help kind of reduce those symptoms quicker, um, which will hopefully get them back onto the play surface a lot faster as well. And you actually do some of the rehab. 
I do. Yeah. Yeah. So as with, in addition to the screening, we go through and we provide them exercises with their eyes. So we do different things where they're looking at a grid of letters and to a metronome beat, have to read out the letters going from outside to outside and working their way in and top to bottom, do different tracking things with like laser pointers and little mazes and stuff like that as well to make them work on their eyes and their balance system with it as well. Steve, how do you use the impact test? So the impact test is a commercial product that we use. We use it as our baseline testing with all of our athletes, high risk, low risk athletes, they all get it done. What it does is it helps us to provide a baseline kind of value of how their brain works and functions without a concussion. If they ever sustain a concussion, we use it as part of our tools for our rehab and our return to play process to make sure that they're kind of back to their baseline values. So it helps us pick up on some of the smaller things that we can't necessarily pick up or see while we're working with them. So like the reaction time or their cognitive memory and such like that with it. So it helps us kind of determine, are we able to progress them to that contact stage of the return to play process with it that way? I guess I've always said that there's two types of liars Mm -hmm. in concussion. And one of them is the person who wants to get back to sport too quickly. And they feel obligated to their team. Perhaps they're the top scorer and they still have symptoms, but it's the playoffs. And so one of the benefits of doing that type of neurocognitive test is that it will pick out some people who say they're better, but they're actually not. Mm -hmm. The other type of liar is the person who actually wants to play the system and prolong their concussion symptoms long after they're better. Now, we don't test for people very often with that scenario, but it it helps in the return to play decisions when there is some doubt. And I know that with our college athletes, you're doing the follow-up testing just before the final return to play steps. Yeah, yeah. We want to make sure that they're they're fully healed up and, and, and not lying about their symptoms or, or anything that way onto it before we put them at risk situations with contact, for sure. Steve, you mentioned earlier, can you just clarify for me how you determine the difference between a high risk versus a low risk? We kind of classify all our, our teams and our sports with by high risk, low risk. So your high risk sports are obviously the ones that have contact in them on a, a regular basis. So our rugby's basketball, and actually soccer is also one of our our high-risk sports onto it that way. Our lower-risk sports are the ones where the the physical contact between players isn't as prevalent in it. So your baseball, softball, volleyball, cross-country running, badminton, those type of sports are are definitely at the the lower risk for sustaining concussions with it. We do test all of our athletes and get provide those baseline values because they can still happen in those sports. Or often athletes will sustain a concussion that is non-sport related sometimes as well that we do help manage as well. Okay, thanks so much. Can you tell me about your Buffalo protocol? Uh, yeah, so the Buffalo concussion treadmill test. The reason why we do that is it helps us to provide exercise program for athletes that are still symptomatic that aren't going to put them beyond a threshold of exacerbating their symptoms. So it's a walking treadmill test and we use a heart rate monitor on them to do the test. What it is, is it's at a set speed and we slowly increase the incline every minute. We record their heart rate and their perceived exertion and symptom scores every other minute on it as well. So as we progress through, if at any point the athlete's symptom scores jump by a three-point range, then we'll stop the test and we record that their maximum heart rate was at that level. And then that way we can provide a 
what we call a sub-threshold level of exercise. So we take 80% of that heart rate and tell them that they can work out for a walk or do something, keeping that heart rate no higher than that 80% of that max heart rate that they got to. We do this for multiple reasons. It keeps them active a little bit. It keeps them mentally engaged and helps with any mental health issues that might arise from a concussion. A lot of athletes, they type A and they want to work out and exercise and stuff. Um, and if you just tell them that they can't sit, they have to sit there and do nothing, they go stir crazy. So we want to try and get them going. Plus we know exercise will help actually facilitate the healing process and help kind of decrease those symptoms a little bit quicker. Awesome. You know, Steve, I think it's important for the listener to know that only 10 years ago did the concept of doing physical activity while you're still having concussion symptoms come to, into being. We were telling people between the year 2000 and 2010 that you must rest until your concussion symptoms were completely gone mm -hmm. and that you couldn't do any physical activity. And so it just goes to show how the research in concussion has evolved so quickly and you've made that jump to physical activity that does not reproduce symptoms. That's such a key element in concussion rehabilitation is don't do anything that makes your symptoms worse. Mm -hmm. uh, could you tell us a little bit about what the preseason process looks like? Uh, yeah, so with our preseason process, we talked about doing the baseline tests with impact with the neurocognitive testing. So all our athletes do their baseline test. In addition to that, um, in Ontario, we have uh, Rowan's Law that's been mandated over the last couple of years. What that does, what that law does, is it in makes allows us to uh, provide education pieces to all of our athletes, coaches, and the officials. So um, prior to every year, they, we go through education process with our athletes on what a concussion is, what the symptoms are, and what would happen if you don't stop playing while you have uh, any symptoms of a concussion. We watch a video and we talk about all of that, and they actually have to sign a, a code of conduct that they will self-report or, or note, note that a teammate might have any concussion symptoms that they see to report it to the athletic therapist so that we could follow up with that athlete. So it's basically a way to kind of hold athletes who are responsible and make them aware and be protective of their teammates as well for, for all the concussion management. So Steve, on behalf of our Peep the Process team, uh, I really want to thank you for joining us today. And I also am very grateful to the athletic department at Seneca College, not only for giving me the, me the opportunity to come assess your student athletes uh, every two weeks, but also for the in-kind support that they've given us for our podcast and for making you available today to speak with us. Your expertise has been awesome. Well, you're welcome. Thank you very much for having me and uh, I look forward to hearing it and hope it helps all the athletes. Be sure to join us next week where our guest expert, Dr. Kathy Campbell, will talk stress, anxiety, and mental health in the process of return to sport. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Instagram at Peep the Process Podcast and on Twitter and Facebook at Peep the Process. Our website can be found at peeptheprocess.buzzsprout.com. This podcast is produced by Emma Jacobs along with associate producer Enrica Immaturo. Special thanks to the Department of Family Medicine at the Scarborough Health Network, the Athletic Department at Seneca College, and the Canadian Academy of Sport and Exercise Medicine for their support. See you next time.
At this point, we would like to remind you that the information provided in this podcast and on this website is intended for a Canadian audience. It is for informational purposes only and does not create a physician-patient relationship. It is not to be used as professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or care, nor is it intended to be used as a substitute. Anyone with any questions regarding medical conditions, issues, or problems should seek the advice of a physician.